The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Set forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. And O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, Tom. How are you doing? There? Well, Father, thanks for asking. I'm still a little horse from Holy Week. Sure. I guess that makes me a pony. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, like that. A little, uh, little throat problem here. So I hope people can tolerate my, uh, the raspiness of my voice. All right. Well, Father, before we begin tonight, I just wanted to make a quick announcement concerning the podcast. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of requests for this from our viewers to to make these podcasts available, and thanks to. Uh, Two of our wonderful, intelligent, very helpful, very kind uh, parishioners in New York. We've we finally made this possible. So it's posted on our website now at wcbohio.com. If one were to go there, they can see the podcast link there. Um, we can 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 download the podcast there. And uh, this is a uh, it's a much more versatile way to listen to the program. Uh, it, it can be taken anywhere. It's a lot easier than, than having to watch the actual video on YouTube. And like I said, we we received a lot of requests for this, and it's actually yeah, available yeah. now. And the short time that we've had it available, I, I believe we've already had over 15,000 hits uh, on these podcasts is that, right? that, that have been uploaded. So it seems that... Um, that there is some effort that goes into putting this in podcast form. A lot of effort, yes, Father. Well, God bless them for doing that. Yes. That's very kind of them. Yes, definitely. It was an initiative they took upon themselves. Yes, Father. Yes, well, that's wonderful. Yes. I'm glad, glad to hear that. Yes, definitely. I'm glad to hear that people are rewarding their efforts by taking advantage of them mm -hmm. using Definitely. Well, Father, let's uh, get into a few things tonight. I wanted to start with some current events. There's this this um, apparently never-ending migrant crisis that, that has been occurring, not only here in our own country, but all over the world, it seems, the Western world at least, but uh, particularly here on the, uh, the southern border, the United States and Mexican border. Uh, it just recently came out that Francis donated, I believe, half a million dollars, $500,000, to some of these migrant camps in, in Mexico and in South America. And um, the the diocese there, the Nova Sordo diocese, have, have apparently been using this money to to shelter and clothe and, and feed these these migrants, these caravans of migrants that have been making their way to the United States border. So, Father, what, what's your take on this? Is this something that a traditional Catholic pontiff would do? I mean, on the surface, it seems very charitable to help these, these poor uh, these poor people. I believe in the, the statement that Francis released. He said, you know, the, these poor migrant people, they're trying to flee the uh, the awful conditions in, in their own country. They're trying to come here to America for a better life. 
and the border has been shut to them. They, they've been locked out, shut up, left out in the, in the cold. And uh, Francis has been trying to do the charitable thing and help them out. So what's your take on that, Father? Is that something that a traditional Catholic pontiff would do? Is that a charitable thing to do? Well, uh, we do know there are the seven corporal works of mercy. Feed the hungry, right? Give drink to the thirsty, and so on. So um, these good works are certainly part of the, the church's uh, focus. Of course, her primary concern would be with the seven, corp- uh, seven spiritual works of mercy, because the salvation of the soul is the most important thing. Um, Salus animarum supreme elex is the ultimate law. The, uh, the supreme law of the church is the salvation of souls, okay? Insofar as the seven corporal works of mercy are connected with that mission, uh, yes, definitely. Uh, a true Catholic would see to uh, the works of charity. We think of St. Matthew chapter 25, when our Lord uh, tells us about the judgment and the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he says, because I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me to drink and so on. So our Lord does, does put a premium on these good works. And he says, if you did it to, for the least of my brethren, you did this for me. Okay, so as long as these acts of charity are truly charity, motivated by a love for God, they have a supernatural value. Okay. Uh, now, with regard to this particular situation we're dealing with now, and uh, migrants uh, flooding the borders, we do see uh, actually a... Um, something that is more than mere coincidence. It is the, the nations of Western Europe that are being flooded uh, by Islamic, Islamic uh, migrants, right, so-called, and they are coming in in droves. And we know that George Soros, who is a one-worlder, uh, very anti-Christian, and anti, especially anti-Christian morality uh, person, is behind it with billions of dollars um, pushing this enterprise. And we know that uh, the purpose is basically to to simply drown what is left of uh, Christendom. Um, now, on the southern border of the United States of America, we find these migrant caravans, as they call it, coming up through Mexico and st- wanting to storm the border into the United States of America. And, uh, you know, there are all the lots of people who are explaining why the Democrats are, are uh, um, basically in favor of open borders. They, they, they say this in different ways, even denying it, if they say it, <laughs> they, they actually affirm it. Um, the thought is that um, they want to bring uh, people in who will vote for Democrats. Uh, they're trying to get ready for the election for the year 2020, the presidential election, and they want to bring in as many votes as they can. And one might argue, well, but these people are not really, you know, citizens of the United States of America, so they would not have the right to vote. But uh, there's good evidence that that has not prevented them from voting in the past. And uh, furthermore, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump has said that he's... uh, 
considering sending the migrants uh, by the boatload to the sanctuary cities, right? Where the migrants are protected against the laws, the immigration laws of the United States and uh, ICE and so on. Um, and um, most of the, the mayors of these uh, sanctuary cities have, have protested loudly against this because they realize that the, their crime rates will go sky high. And they don't have the, uh, the means to provide for all of these people who will come destitute and looking for, to be taken care of and provided for. But there is one new mayor of Chicago who said, we'll take all the migrants you can send us. And I, I expect that uh, they're beginning to figure out that if they do have tens of thousands of these uh, migrants come in from Honduras and other areas, and uh, be located in their cities, they're going to find a way to enable them to vote, to cast votes for the president, uh, presidential candidates in the year 2020. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't take too many hundreds of thousands or millions to sway the election. Yeah. So we have to be very careful. We know the Democrats now are doing everything they can to... Uh, change the election rules in the United States, especially doing away with the Electoral College. And uh, we have to be wary of how they will use this to their uh, advantage and to just assume that they won't is a big mistake. Because remember, I mean, they are in favor of, uh, of putting, of murdering babies by the, by the millions. They're in favor of murdering babies in the womb right up till birth in many states that are controlled by Democrat, Democratic legislatures. And so uh, they will stop at nothing. In order to secure power, they basically uh, use the abortion question as a, uh, as a selling point for their party and uh, to, to gain votes. And if they will use that to secure votes, there, there's nothing that, that would stop them from using any other method necessary. Uh, am I um, putting the, the, the best possible interpretation on things? Uh, no, but I think this is being realistic. I think it's just a matter of reality. Um, now looking at, as, as this, at this matter of Francis sending $500,000 to uh, Mexico for the sake of supporting these, these migrant caravans who arrived at the borders of the United States of America with the intention of, of uh, crossing those borders and getting into America. Uh, any way they can. What comes to mind, first of all, of course, is that this money is money that is uh, from the, the Catholic people, um, the Nova Soto people who you know, with whatever intentions that they've donated. And um, now, you know, you might find that many of the, the New Order Catholics here, uh, modernists as they've become, and supporting so many modernist causes, many of them probably would be in favor of that money being spent. You know, when Obama was uh, running for president, uh, the majority of the Catholic population in the United States of America voted for him. Um not only despite his pro-abortion stance, but possibly even because of it, in favor of it. So to say that uh, it's not right to use the donation of Catholics to uh, 
to support this, um, which, you know, as Americans, we would consider to be a, an attack on our, the laws of our own nation and the sovereignty of our own nation, right? But uh, to claim that the use of those monies would be against the wills of the donors, the Novus Ordo Catholics who gave the money, I'm not so sure that there, most of the Novus Ordo Catholics would think that it was just wonderful that Obama sent that, that, that Francis sent the $500,000 to the migrants uh, to uh, support them in their efforts, right? To uh, invade the United States of America. Um, but the thing that concerns me, though, Tom, as soon as I read about that $500,000, a half a million dollars being sent from the Vatican under Francis, um, I mean, here is, here is Francis sending the $500,000. He's also uh, donating uh, monies to other causes that are very, very, well, I, I would say just downright immoral, right? Uh, there, there's even legal action, you know, and questions about donations, monies that have been siphoned off in different directions, under his control, uh, and at his direct request. But I'm thinking about all the people in Venezuela right now, who are suffering terribly under a socialist dictator named uh, Madero, right? Madero, Maduro. This is a man who Francis has supported. This is a man who Francis publicly visited. And this is a man who publicly visited Francis, for that matter, in the Vatican. Uh, this is a man who, who Francis has supported and to this day continues to support. And he's not withdrawn any of the accolades he laid down uh, you know, in favor of Maduro. But this is a man who is starving his people, is preventing aid from getting to them, right, to alleviate their hunger. And uh, there's good reason to believe that he's doing a lot of other things to torment them, so depriving them of fresh water by the power outages and so on. And we just saw uh, armed um, Venezuelan military vehicles uh, targeting crowds of protesters, right? And uh, this is the kind of uh, um, uh, evil tyrant and tyranny we're dealing with here, right? Those people are struggling desperately to be free. We saw what socialism did with Francis applauding under Chavez and Maduro in, in going, uh, the Venezuelans going from among the richest countries, if not the richest countries of uh, South America, to being uh, in the current destitute state that it is. And here Francis, that we, not that we don't know of any penny or any euro that Francis has sent to aid these people. The Russians have come as advisors, Russian military too. The Chinese have sent their people to Maduro to prop him up. But what has Francis done for the people of Venezuela but betray them into the hands of the socialist dictatorship that they're in the grip of right now? And while sending 500,000 um, dollars worth of aid to these um, migrants, as they're called, right? Uh, who, are, who are being, this is being orchestrated by somebody, and it's somebody who is an enemy of the United States of America and its laws and its sovereignty. And Francis is right there to support this. Um, and yet, what has he done to help these poor people of Venezuela who are suffering so much under socialism?
<clears throat> except to uh, lend his prestige to prop up the socialist regime. That I consider the most monstrous aspect of the whole thing. And I'd like people to, to ponder that a little bit, you know, why, why he would send that, those monies to support this particular cause, when he claims to be doing it out of charity, right? When he claims to be doing it out of noble motives, supporting these poor people who have little. These poor people chose to leave their country. They got to escape their countries. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, countries uh, in South America are dominated by the Freemasons, and that's why their countries are what they are. And life is as it is there. Um, because, you know, there is a, a certain amount of socialist cronyism in their, in their, in their countries. But uh, why would he be sending the money to these people who have left their countries and are now perched on the border in Mexico, right? And leave the Venezuelans prisoners of the uh, Marxist socialist regime of Maduro and do nothing for them. Mm -hmm. well, Father, as far as the, the American citizens' perspective on this, you know, it's certainly a very sad situation. We have all these these poor migrants. They live in terrible conditions in their country. That that's very true. No one no one would deny that. But do we not, Father, have an obligation to help our own people first? You know, there there are um, every day you see articles of record numbers of homeless people here in America. There's there's homeless ec epidemics in all nearly all of the big cities. Across San Francisco, Los Angeles, Los Angeles. It's yeah. it's it's everywhere. So, Father, this is certainly a very sad situation. But do we not have an obligation to help our own people first? Does would this not, you know, all of these these poor migrants letting them in, trying to help them? Wouldn't that just exacerbate the problem that we have in our own cities with our own people here in America? Well, it it would. Yes, it certainly would, and it it would exacerbate the problem we have now that. Uh, the reason why we have the situation we have right now is because of socialism. Uh, you notice that all of these country, uh, these cities in America, the great cities that have this problem are Democrat-led. Mm -hmm. They're led by Democrats. Um, their city councils are controlled by Democrats. In Chicago, there are more socialists, avowed socialists on the city council than there are Republicans. And uh, so you see this pattern everywhere you go. The cities, the great cities now in crisis, are uh, the, their mayors, their city councils are in the control of Democrats. And the more uh, the population goes uh, downhill, the more it votes for the Democrats because the Democrats want to dole out to them, you know, give uh, the public dole. And the more votes that they gain by that, and the worse the situation gets, it's a vicious circle, of course. The more they encourage this problem. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think San Francisco probably is the, the, the most shocking example of that, although Los Angeles is another fine example of that too, of a regime dictated by the Democrats' uh, pro-socialist policies. And... Um, um, let's face it, that encourages uh, anti-productivity. It doesn't, doesn't encourage people to work and be productive. It encourages the opposite. Sure. It discourages productivity and rewards, uh, it rewards um, just sloth and um, 
those who uh, it, it rewards dependence and it, it discourages independence, uh, financial independence, certainly. Um, it encourages the idea that we must look to the government. The government must take care of us. The government, again, is big brother, and the government will provide for us. This is to provide the foundation for a socialist government, for a socialist country. And um, now we all know that the ideal government would, would have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and uh, Tlaib, and so on, that they would be in charge of the health care in the nation, that they would determine what health care would be available to what people. We would want uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to be in charge of the food supply in the nation to determine what food can be grown by whom and who would be ha having the opportunity to obtain it and eat it and feed it to their children. We want them to have that control. That's what socialism is, right? And we say, well, why would they be in favor of it? And the answer is very obvious, because they love power. They want to have that power. But why would anybody want to give them that power? Only if they themselves feel that uh, they are absolutely dependent and they want a government that will promise them whatever, um, as long as they don't have to work for it. There are plenty of people who will vote for the people who will make those promises. You know? And this is uh, the problem we're dealing with now. Now, you know, you ask about uh, our feelings of compassion. Yes, you read about the circumstances of the people living in these nations of South America just as you read about the people who are living in Islamic societies. And your heart does go out to them. You feel terrible for them. Uh, you really do feel compassion for them. and would love to help them. But uh, if, if you find that you're not really helping them, um, that you are uh, sinking, you are sinking in the United States, they're coming. You want to be able to provide refuge for them if at all possible, but you find that uh, they are being used to destroy the very, the very hope they have of escaping, of escaping from that life, that essentially uh, they're being used to bring here that life, mm -hmm. exactly. then uh, you're not helping them at all. You're just destroying those who you have a primary obligation to protect. It, Father, you know, every time this, this migrant and immigration issue comes up, I'm always reminded of, of the story, I believe you just told us recently on, on one of our programs about the, um, I believe it was a South America a mission, a Catholic mission there, yeah. where they, they had this, this church with all of this, these great uh, religious artifacts in there yeah. and whatnot, and, you know, the, the, the community there, they had this one great place to worship, it was all there. It was they, a little they, village. They were rich there. Um, but they had the, the grand idea to sell off all of that and distribute the, the profits among the people. And then they ended up all being poor and having nothing. <laughs> Whereas having before nothing they had this. And that, that seems to me to be a bit of a symbol of, of what we have happening in America, where we have this, this great rich nation uh, with all of these goods, all these financial goods, very wealthy. And so we have all of these other countries, all these other third world peoples trying to come into our into our country to 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 share the wealth to 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 get a piece of the pie and there's not enough to go around to everyone and it seems that, that we're getting to the point where uh we are rather than them being lifted up to our level we are being lowered to their level 
Well, Tom, there's no doubt in my mind that if we had a moral people and we uh, had uh, gave them the freedom and the liberty to use um, their ingenuity and their industry with moral principles behind them, that we could bring all of these people in and teach them and help them and give them that uh, power of accomplishment, achievement, productivity to in really raise their level of, of, uh, of um, well, what you call the quality of life, as I guess they call it now, uh, lifestyle. We, we, you know, this is a formula that enriches people. Absolutely. And allows them to produce great things, you know. But that's not what is being done here. That's the mm -hmm. problem. Uh, the people are being are streaming across the border, and uh, in all too many cases, they're looking simply to take and not to give. Right. Uh, not to become Americans, but rather to uh, basically just uh, uh, devour what is American. And the, and I see the Democrats, you know, are all in favor of that. They 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 do not intend to make people productive whatsoever. No. And. Um, so I believe our country, if, if we had the true Catholic morality, which has to be the foundation of any real civilization as such, uh, when, I, when I say that, I mean, there are people saying, well, look at the Aztec civilization. It wasn't Christianity. No, but look at the, the piles of skulls. Uh, look at the, the blood which caked the walls of their temples, the human blood, the sacrifice, the human sacrifices. They offer. I don't call that civilization. That is not civilization to me. No, no, I'm talking about a real, a real Christian civilization. If you have a real Catholic morality there, um, that does place the God's value on human life, you know, and um, then I, I, I really do believe that that society can take, bring people in, and transform their, them from citizens of one type of failed civilization into a, a, a false civilization to uh, really solid, good individuals, give them faith, give them hope, give them charity. If they come with that intention and to, to work and produce and make things better and lend their skills and their energies to doing so and build things up, we, I, I don't think there's... I mean, there's a limit to everything. It's not infinite. But I believe uh, we haven't seen the limit of what this country could do if it would be allowed to do it. Yes, but exactly uh, the opposite is happening right But now. exactly the opposite is happening. Uh, the country is being poisoned um, and is being assaulted from every side by those who do not have those values, do not have those moral principles. And this is what we're dealing with here, you see. So... Our compassion can be very misguided compassion in so far as it is um, used and abused by the leftists to weaken us and to rather than enable us to help people who need our help. Rather, it is, it is a matter of them, not, not us pulling them out of the quicksand, but them pulling us into the quicksand. <laughs> Well, Father, there's certainly a lot of other current events that, that we could get to. It seems there's uh, not a day that goes by where we don't have some wonderful news of Francis's mm -hmm. follies in the Vatican. Um, 
But Father, I would like to um, at least get to to a couple emails if we could. Uh, the e email inbox is overflowing as usual, and a lot of great questions. So I'd like to start with this one uh, from a viewer who says that growing up as a young traditional Catholic in the Cincinnati area is very hard because there are several different traditional Catholic churches that one could attend. And this viewer says, in my opinion, for the most part, the parishioners in these parishes really love the traditional faith and try hard to be good traditional Catholics. However, since the priests cannot agree on many things, it causes the people to argue. I've witnessed several good traditional Catholics break up over differences, even though they have the same faith. It seems as though the priests encourage these breakups of traditional Catholics from different churches and hesitate to marry them. And yet, I have seen the priests marry traditional Catholics to people with no faith at all, without giving the, the couple as much trouble. So does Father think that it would be better to marry a non-Catholic than a traditional Catholic from one of these other churches? And how are we supposed to handle the differences that our traditional priests do not agree on? Right. Well, I don't know who the writer is here. I don't know if you know who the writer is here. Um, it is a fact that we do have different groups of traditional Catholics in the area here. No doubt about it. And the reason why they're different groups is because they do not see eye to eye in some very significant issues, right? We have uh, took clergy, right? Archbishop took uh, ordained and consecrated clergy in the area here. And there are those of us who see that as a not really being traditional Catholic. It simply is not. We have reasons for saying that. It is not really traditional Catholicism, and we cannot in any way encourage people to go that way. Um, there are other issues, too, with other traditional Catholic groups. Some want to um, find a way to uh, straddle a fence between modernism and traditionalism, traditional Catholicism, and find a marriage between the two of them. And we know that that is impossible, too. You can't do that. Um, there, there are all kinds of different positions here, and as I've mentioned before, we may all point at the Catechism of the Council of Trent and say, yes, we all have that same faith, right? Except the, the Phineites reject uh, part of it. But anyway, um, that is leaving that aside for the moment. Um, but the fact is, in implementing the, and practicing the faith, right, there are those who are not really following Catholic tradition. And this is why there is a division. We all want the traditional Catholic liturgy, the true Catholic worship. We all want that. We all, you know, espouse the, the traditional Catholic faith, as you find in the Roman Catechism, uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, right? We all profess to be following Catholic tradition, realize that, that is the ultimate authority we have to follow right now. And the problem we're facing is that the, big, the, the, the Vatican is not. The Vatican has not only uh, detached itself from Catholic tradition, but is actually attacking Catholic tradition to try to uh, destroy it, you know, whatever vestiges they have, or use it to their advantage, ultimate to its, uh, temporarily, so they can ultimately move forward with its destruction. But um, the fact is that among those who um, can claim and you know, say these things correctly. The problem really is modernism. Uh, the answer is to hold to the traditional Catholic faith. The answer is to hold to the traditional Catholic worship. The answer is to hold to Catholic tradition as the authority which we to follow. Not all do. 
And it is where they deviate in practice from actually, when they're doing things that Catholic tradition has always condemned, then you know they're not following Catholic tradition, no matter what they say. And uh, so there are some significant issues here. Now, I don't know what this man or woman who, who writes is, I don't know what they know or what they think they know. I don't know what they're referring to specifically. Um, the picture they're painting is that various priests try to break up couples who are going to two different chapels, right? It's such a, she, he or she might have instances of that, okay? All I can do is speak for myself. This is all I know of, okay? I have had uh, young people come with a uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, a potential fiancé from one of the other traditional Catholic chapels, and uh, ask me, well, you know, what what is our circuit? What is the situation here? What do we have to be in guard against? I'll, I'll suggest that they do come in and sit down and talk about this together, not just individually, but together. I will also suggest then that they go and they talk it over with the other priests too, you know. And I suggest that we all sit down and talk it over with the other priests. And I've made this offer more than once to have the priest of the other chapel sit down and we can talk it among ourselves with the people present here to try to help them come to an, at least an, an intelligent understanding of what's involved. Uh, I have never had any one of the other priests from the other groups agree to do that. They've just flatly refused to do that. Um, so, in any case, um, it's disappointing, but, uh, I mean, that's my own experience, okay? Um, I, it is true, I would not want one of our own young people here, um, marrying someone who is going to a Took chapel and would take their children to the Took chapel, because I believe that is simply despite all appearances to the contrary, not traditional Catholicism, because it has at its very foundation a violation of traditional Catholicism and is doing something that the, the traditional Catholic faith has always rejected, always condemned. Um, so uh, again, I, I consider that to be fraudulent. Now there are many people involved in it who don't, who think it's the right thing to do. They can follow their conscience, I cannot. No, I assume they're following their consciences and doing what they believe is the right thing to do. I believe it is the wrong thing to do, and I cannot follow their conscience. I have to follow my own. I believe it is absolutely wrong to do that, to uh, to be associated with the Turk clergy, okay? Um, and I would tell someone who came to me, a young person who came to me, who said, well, I want to you know, go with somebody and eventually perhaps marry somebody from one of those other chapels. And I would say, well... Um, I cannot be a part of that. I cannot support that. And um, I would say at least this, you know, you owe it to, you know, your future, your children, to have them come sit down and talk about it. And uh, I would not object to you going and talking it over with that clergy over there either. You know, if they insist that it has to be both ways, I would say, okay, you know, I can understand from their point of view. It would sound like the, the fair thing to do. And I would even suggest, as I said, that we all sit down together and talk it over. Um, but bottom line, I mean, I, I would say, well, I mean, if this is your decision to go ahead with this, you've got to realize it really is a mixed marriage in the sense that I do not consider that the Society of St. Pius V does not consider that to be really the practice of traditional Catholicism. 
Then they might say, but they have the traditional mass. You might say, well, yeah, but the, you know, you have the, the Diocese of Covington has the Latin mass from 1962. I mean, that doesn't make them traditional Catholics, you know. They're still modernists, right? And uh, you'd say, but they, they follow the Catechism of the Council of Trent. You'd say, well, yeah, but there, there are others who, uh, you know, will insist that that's what they, they believe. But what they're actually doing does not uh, conform to traditional Catholic practice uh, at, its, at its root, at its heart. Maybe they have all the bells ringing at all the right times. But when you're basing this on the fact that somebody consecrated non-Catholics to as bishops and the church condemns that, then you're, you're going to the very heart of the matter of what it is to commit a crime against the integrity of the faith and the unity of the church. If they do what Archbishop Took did, and you just kind of wave that off as saying, oh, that's unfortunate, but it has no practical consequence for us. Well, how could you, how could you say something as grave as that has no practical consequence? You simply have to turn a blind eye to it and say, well, it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. And this is what the monitors do. That doesn't count. So uh, it does count. And we can't just turn a blind eye to it. Uh, If that's what this person is writing about, I I don't know. Has it happened? I've had people, uh, for example, from uh, uh, other traditional chapels come and sit down and talk about things. And often... I mean, sometimes they'll come in, uh, let's say, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a potential fiancé for one of our own young people here, and say, well, you know, I have this issue with your position on the Pope, you know, and he's asking, well, what is our position on the Pope? And they they don't know. They've just been told whatever by the clergy uh, on the other side of the river, on the other side of the state, on the other side of the country, on the side of the world, whatever it is, they've just been told and they accepted it as though it were divine revelation that that must be our position. And it's not. It's not a position. And I try to explain it to them. And uh, so they understand that. Because I don't want that to be an issue down the road. If they do get married, and it's valid, a valid marriage, uh, I don't want that to be an issue between the husband and the wife. And uh, certainly not when it comes to the raising of the children. Um, I do notice one thing, though, that uh, once they get this in their mind, what our position, what they're told our position is, I can explain it to them any number of times, and they always seem to default back to what they were originally told, not to what the facts are for some reason. So, um, I mean, if if I foresee that it's going to be a problem in the marriage, I will tell them that I can see that, that you're trying to uh, find some common ground on a very important issue. And not only is one of your, com- maybe you're both compromising to find some little, you know, a narrow area where you can pretend to agree. But uh, in the long run for a marriage, this is not a healthy situation. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, this this person who's writing may see it merely as a matter of, well, this is romance, and they really have the same faith, so why is this the issue? They don't consider that to be a, a very big issue. But generally, when the people come and sit down with me at the table, you're sitting down there because it is important to them. The issue is important to, to at least one of them, sure. usually to both of them. 
Definitely. Just speaking from the perspective yeah. of, of a married person, I can say, you know, any Catholic couple that the Catholic religion is going to be the very center uh, of their, their married life, their family life. Everything else they do revolves around, should at least revolve around that. And if they cannot agree on this most basic tenant, the the, uh, the thing that influences everything else they do in life, if they're not in complete agreement on this, there'll be nothing but uh, but but fighting and discord. It's not going. Well, not imagine going to uh, you know a, a a girl, a woman. You don't want a girl getting married. Imagine a young woman marrying a, a young man, and uh, they have not agreed, but they've tried to kind of cover over the disagreement at the time. As to whether it's okay to go to an adult mass or a, you know, a diocesan 1962 liturgy, whether it's okay to do that or not, and they haven't resolved that, they've just decided to ignore it. But then this, this, the issue comes up after six months or a year of marriage that one wants to take, you know, go there and three years later take the children to the the local diocesan. Uh, Latin mass, you know, and the other party says, well, you know, I didn't agree with that when we got married, but, you know, that doesn't count now. But you know, I thought it was okay when we got married. And now they have a disagreement about that. Or one of them says, okay, we agreed that we wouldn't go to one of the took uh, chapels back when we got married, but now we're traveling on vacation and we don't have access to anything else. So I'm taking the children, I'm going to go off to the local Tuk Chapel here. And you say, but you know I was against that. Well, that was then, this is now. Or, uh, you know, five, you, you, even the, for the first child, okay, they get married, and 10 months later, they're having a baptism for a baby. And they want to have a Novus Ordo Uncle Remus come in and be the, the godfather for the baby, right? The godparent for the baby. And he's, he's going to the Novus Ordo. Maybe he's not going anywhere. You know, maybe he's just not practicing anything at all. But one of them thinks it's perfectly okay. And maybe if, if they're, for example, going to an SSPX chapel, it might be okay to have a Novus Ordo godparent. But, you know, a traditional Catholic would say, no, that's not the mind of the church to have uh, a modernist as godparent of our child. Our child's going to be raised, we said, as a traditional Catholic. And that means that According to the mind of the church, they should have traditional Catholic godparents. And no, we, we, we do not want, uh, I, the mother or the father, do not want the Novus Ordo, your uncle, you know, Theodore, being the Novus Ordo godparent of my son or my daughter here. And then, then they find out that this is a, they've been trying to gloss over the issue, and now it's an issue. Now it is becoming an issue and a source of division. And if it is a source of division, certainly not the source, there are going to be multiple sources of division. And so I would, I would actually say that even the priests uh, whom I don't see eye to eye with and the things that they're doing, that I think they're doing things that are contrary to Catholic tradition. Um, I would hope that each one of us would all agree on this, that it's a bad idea to just to, to rush it all onto the carpet for the sake of the wedding day, and then deal with the consequences afterwards. I think we'd all agree prudently that that is not a good idea. Okay. All right, well, Father, uh, let's move on to another email. In our last program, we talked about um, this idea of, in the introduction to the program, you say the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass and how that can possibly turn off some uh, would-be traditional Catholics, perhaps some conservative Novus Ordo Catholics. 
And uh, just to kind of paraphrase, we received uh, several emails from from people replying with their experiences around this, and uh, just just the general consensus consensus among those who emailed in, they said that uh, that in fact a lot of what you do say does overlap with what a lot of conservative Novus Ordo Catholics so, will will think and say. The so, problem so. is though that. Uh, that they know that you have this this position of being against um, the modernist popes, the Paul the Sixth and John Paul the Second, and so many of these Novus Ordo conservative Novus Ordo Catholics have really staked their entire their entire religion, their entire faith on these popes and, and what they have done. So even though some of them may agree, yes, all kinds of bad things have come in. We we want tradition. We want we want things to go back to the way they were, but we have placed our entire faith really in these modernist popes, and we cannot go against them because we have to be obedient okay. to the Pope. Interesting and, that they would respond that way. It's right. very revealing. To it, it seems that that is um, really the prevailing viewpoint, mm-hmm. according to the... Uh, but you see, I think that indicates there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, even if, if what I'm saying uh, in the introduction about the so-called New Mass, the disasters of Vatican II, I mean... As people, I gather you're saying, is that they might agree with that terminology in itself, but they don't like that. Uh, I'm coming from the the standpoint that all this this creates a, a, a practical and reasonable doubt, an objective doubt about the, whether these are legitimate popes or not. Right. Uh, even if I'm not coming out and just saying absolutely, I can say dogmatically on the basis of my authority as Father Jenkins, that they are not popes and cannot be popes, and you can't believe they're popes, and if you think they're popes, you're not Catholic. I don't say any of that, right? I'm just saying that there is a very serious and reasonable objective doubt uh, about their papacy, the legitimacy of their papacy because of their modernism and the the evil things they've done. Mm -hmm. Now, these are people who may agree, yet, yes, the times we're in are unprecedented. We've never seen popes do things like this before. And they might agree with that. And they might say, therefore, we can't necessarily presume to have the answers. The church has judged cases before of errant popes, but never anything like this. So uh, why they necessarily say this is the one thing you can't question. No one can question whether they're really popes or not. Absolutely, a priori, you must never raise that question. Um, and that's about the only thing you can't. Well, just, just recently, I think even just today, as a matter of fact, April 30th, the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena, four conservative New Order priests, at least four, maybe more, and uh, 16 or so what are called scholars, you know, modern Catholic scholars, and all of them, um, you know, involved in the Novus Ordo, all of them fully invested in the Novus Ordo. They're conservative. They love the traditional mass, the traditional faith. But nonetheless, they, they will not um, condemn modernism as we see it, and they will not condemn Vatican II as the modernist council. Um... They they distinguish between the spirit of the council and the letter of the council, and they uphold the council, and they uphold all of the post-council your popes as popes, true Catholic popes and vicars of grace. Okay, they are now saying they've actually written a letter to the bishops 
of the world, the Novus Ordo bishops, saying that Francis is a heretic. <clears throat> he is an actual avowed heretic. Um, his heresy has been denounced. He persists in his heresy, right? And they want the bishops to do something about it. Now, they don't tell the bishops what they need to do about it, but they're just saying this is intolerable that we have a heretical pope, and, you know, it's a, you have to do something about this, okay? And um, this is very interesting. You know? These are the same people who would say, but you, the one thing you can't say is what Father Jenkins is saying, or others like him, right? No, you know, I, I acknowledge, I mean, there is a Sede Vicantis position which is unacceptable to me, abhorrent to me, not Catholic. And that is those who claim to have the uh, authority, right, the magisterial authority to, to declaim dog, declare dogmatically on the basis of their own personal uh, uh, logical deductions, right, that uh, Francis, Benedict, and so on are not popes, never were popes, and so on. Uh, I don't believe any of these Sede Vicantist pontiffs have the authority to make such declarations <coughs> any more than I do, okay? They cannot lay this down dogmatically. They cannot make it a matter of dogma, nor can they proclaim it a dogmatic fact, as some have tried to do. I think this is an abhorrent, it's contrary to what we know as Catholics. They have no authority to do that. Um, but I think uh, that there is definitely the uh, objective doubt. There are reasons to question the papacy. This is, this is what I mentioned before, Tom. Okay. If people are going to insist that Francis is the Pope, and that's their starting point, and they're going to say, okay, Francis now, we are in uh, uncharted waters with Francis because we've never had a Pope like him before then. Mm -hmm. And he's doing all of these outrageous things, okay? And the, what the, point, the point that they're getting from, the, what, what they're actually making the point, that what Francis does is what a man does who is a true pope. A priori, they're saying that he's a true pope. So this is going to tell us what the papacy, what a, what a pope can do. And... Uh, like Peter Kwasniewski, you know, he's, he's writing about, well, there was a time when the Catholics thought that a pope couldn't do this, but then this pope came along and we found out, well, a pope could do that. And there was a time then, later, when a Catholics thought a pope couldn't do this, but then a pope came along and did that, and now we find out that, yes, a true pope can do that. And now here's the breaking point. They say, but now with Francis, it's something different here. We've never really seen a pope do what this man has done. Okay, not really. And so now this is different here. But what they say is now Francis is going to decide he's going to make it clear what a pope can do. And everything Francis does is actually the work of a pope. So for them, Francis is actually dictating what a pope can do. He's giving them the, the very um, concept of the new papacy. What can a pope do? And the answer is whatever Francis does, a Catholic pope can do and still be the pope, period. I mean, because by definition, Francis is the pope and you can't question it. 
So obviously, if he does something, a pope must be able to do that, no matter how bad it is, no matter how anti-Catholic it is. And here's a man who is doing his level worst to destroy the very foundations of the church as an institution. He's redesigning the government of the church. In June, we're supposed to have some new apostolic constitution of his worked out by what's left of his gang of nine cardinals, many of whom, at least half of whom, were charged with covering up the abuse scandal. Now it's down to six, okay? And they've, they've come out, I mean, he's very, very notoriously uh, anti-Catholic, and on, on, like Maradiaga and the rest of them, okay? Have come up with this, this, this new design for the government of the church. And they are making this dicastery for the evangelization of, evangelization of peoples to be like the super dicastery, dicastery over all of the other departments, right? And uh, even uh, it's going to, that is going to devour what was left of the holy office, <coughs> or the, what was the congregation for the to the doctrine of the faith. Mm-hmm. Now this new this new dicastery for this uh, evangelization of people is going to devour that. And it is going to become this gigantic juggernaut, which will take precedence over everything else. So now you're going to find that this is going, global warming climate change is going to be the, is going to be the new doctrine of the church, right? The immigration issue, all of these things, right? Um, Adultery in the church, right? And, And this whole new concept of morality that Francis brought in, which is the old concept of immorality or amorality, which he now is introducing as the new Catholic morality. That is now going to be the ultimate message of the church. And this is what this man is doing. And they're saying, well, whatever he does, I mean, this Pope must be able to do it because he's the Pope, right? You can't question that. So ultimately what these men are doing, I mean, all of them, all of the most conservative of the Novus Ordos who are, who are just harping on this line that Francis is the Pope, he's the Pope. What can you do? He's the Pope. All of these men are actually empowering Francis to destroy the church. They are empowering him to do that. They're not just um, uh, what, what they call being in denial. They're not just in what, what else, other psychological terms they use these days, right? Um, they are actually empowering him by saying, well, whatever he does, I mean, it's got to be the work of a pope. And that's what we have to see, the Pope, the papacy is. What Francis is, that is the papacy. They are his primary allies in the destruction that he's causing right now. And, and really, his, his primary target, what he's really destroying, is the very Catholic concept of the papacy. Because by the time he's done, as long as these people let him be on this rampage and say, well, whatever he, do, he does is is the work of a pope, you know, and, and it, it, it in no ways takes away the papacy from him. And uh, popes must be capable of doing this. He is, he is going to leave not one shred of the very concept of the Catholic papacy left. He's going to completely obliterate everything. And these people, these men will have no one to blame but themselves uh, for enabling him, empowering him to do this, because they will not, they will not acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's a point now where we arrive, where we really have to begin to question whether or not um, 
he, he really can be the vicar of Christ on earth and the Roman pontiff. Um, anyway, this is where I see the, the grave damage that they're doing to the, the people who still have the faith but are holding on for dear life to this Mad Hatter's Tea Party riot of uh, the Mad Hatter, Francis. Um, and these are the people who are keeping them securely seatbelted in there uh, in this kamikaze ride uh, that Francis is taking people on right now. Uh, so you see, even when they write this letter to the bishops of the Novus Ordo and they say, look, he's a heretic, okay? They don't even name the worst things that he's done and said, okay? But they single out a certain number of things that he's said and done, okay? But they're completely uh, missing the big picture, and that is the big picture, that he is actually taking practical steps to dismantle the church, to dismantle the Catholic Church, every vestige of the, and replace it with something that is created in the image and likeness of Francis. That is Francis's own creation. And that's exactly what a modernist does. So, in any case, uh, <clears throat> interesting to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Father, it's certainly uh, dark times we're living in, but uh, just to end on a positive note, you know, you mentioned today is uh, St. Catherine of Siena's feast days, and if there's any uh, any anyone who knows about dark times in the church, I'd say it would be St. Catherine of Siena, so perhaps she'd be a great patron for us to, to pray to today. Perhaps that could be a Sorts of hope mm. for us today. So. Well, she certainly saw great evils afflict the church, right? Mm. And uh, she um, she did not only speak, but she practiced the faith and offered the sacrifices personally, uh, the penances to God, beseeching Him for the graces necessary. We must be doing that now too. Yes, sir. For all concerned, I. Uh, people ask me sometimes, well, do you pray for Francis? And as a matter of fact, yes, of course they do. Uh, but I pray for his conversion. I see what so many others see, even in the Novus Ordo, that he does not have the Catholic faith. And they seem to have a hard time drawing the consequences, or seeing that that has any consequences. Uh, but um, the fact is, uh, they see it. They can't deny it. I see it too. He doesn't have the faith. And so I do pray for him. I pray for the grace of conversion for him. Sure. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming in. I'll be yes, in yeah. under the weather. So thank you very much. Well, I apologize for my voice again. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah. I'm here to pray for us. Pray for the church. Definitely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you. And, and pray for Father Collins. Father, Father Collins, Joseph sorry. Collins passed away mm -hmm. Saturday, I think it was April 27th, at 10.54 a.m. after a battle with, uh, with pancreatic cancer. Okay. Long-time associate, fellow priest, and... Uh, Ordained by Monseigneur Lefebvre, I ask you to please keep his dear soul in your prayers. Yes, definitely. We have a, a very nice uh, memorial of him on our website mm -hmm. as well. Yes, as well, so, yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah. Well, again, thank you and God bless you.